Good morning, church. We'll be reading out of John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can, any, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, to, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite who is, whom in there there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Merry Christmas. Have you ever met someone or seen someone that just made you wish you had more hair just immediately? <laughs> that was my son Tobin. And uh, knowing that this was a family service, there'd be a few more uh, kids and families present. I just wanted to... Uh, invite him and our family into the, the service as well, and just Merry Christmas, and just excited to be with you this morning. Uh, we've been working through the Gospel of John over the last few weeks, and uh, the Gospel of John is different than Matthew and Luke and the account of Christmas that we often read, the traditional kind of details of Christmas. Matthew and Luke tell you kind of what happened. John tells you why, why it happened. And, and, and the meaning behind Christmas. And so as we looked through the Gospel of John uh, over the last few weeks, we have read things about Jesus being the one that has been from the beginning, uh, that Jesus is the one who was with God, was God, that he was in the beginning, that things were created through him, that he was the light that had come into the world and that light was the life of mankind, that we'd finally be able to see ourselves, know what we were to look like, who we were, and that this word, this expression, this, this uh, God, God's ultimate reveal of himself came and took on flesh, and we know him to be Jesus. And Jesus was full of grace upon grace. When John tells us about Jesus, kind of moving through these first 18 verses, at the end of the chapter, what's fascinating about John's record here is we finally have Jesus talking about himself. Up to this point, it's been John talking about Jesus, but the passage that we just looked at and what we're going to look at more closely this morning is what Jesus said at the end of chapter one about who he was. So we're only a day away from Christmas, right? There's a lot of celebrating to, to take place. Um, it's the birth of Jesus that we're celebrating. And so I want us to see how this passage helps us understand what it means that heaven has opened up to us because of Christmas. Heaven has opened up to us because of Jesus. To understand John chapter 1, what we just read, you've got to go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 27 uh, through 28. And so <clears throat> kids, if you're here and want to hear a story, um, Genesis chapter 27, 28 is a really fascinating story. Uh, it centers around a dad and his two sons, um, Isaac, and then there's Esau and Jacob. And Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. Esau was born just a little in front, just a little before 
before Jacob. So he's the firstborn and Jacob's the second. And you could imagine as brothers that close together, there had to be moments of competition. There had to be some rivalry between them. But there was one moment in their relationship, one competitive moment that I want to tell you hurt their relationship that we get to see within the scriptures. Isaac was getting old. The dad, the father was getting old and he wanted to bless Esau. And in that culture, to bless your son, to bless the firstborn was a really significant thing. You, you, you brought them in and you prayed over them. And in praying over them and blessing them, you really kind of bestowed the privilege of being the leader of the family at that point. And so there was a responsibility that came with that, but there was also this really wonderful position. And Isaac was gonna pray for Esau that the favor of God that Isaac had known, the blessing that God had been in, in Isaac's life, he would pass on to Esau. <clears throat> well, I told you that Isaac was getting older. Uh, he couldn't see very well. And so in this moment where he's, he's unsure, he, he brings Esau in and says, hey, Esau, I need you to run an errand for me. I need you to go prepare me dinner. So Esau leaves. Well, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, Esau and Jacob's mom, Rebecca has an idea. Her idea is this, she wants Isaac not to bless Esau, but she wants Isaac to bless Jacob. That's who she is favoring, right? There's a problem there. There's a, the scriptures give us some insight that maybe she didn't like Esau's wives. Like there's some, you know, that's a whole other issue there, but Rebecca wanted Jacob to have the blessing. And so she came up with this really kind of crazy and wild idea that while Esau was out getting dad dinner, she was going to send Jacob in with dinner and dress him like Esau. Now, we also know the scriptures tell us that Esau was a pretty hairy guy. So she dressed up Jacob like with goat skin on his neck and his hands so that he would feel furry. He, she put him in Esau's clothes and then she sent Jacob in to dad, sent him in with dinner in hopes to get this blessing. So Jacob goes into dad, goes into Isaac, and Isaac says, you sound like Jacob, but you, you feel and smell like Esau, so I'm going to bless you. And then Isaac gives the most beautiful blessing of hope and promise and position and authority to Jacob, and Jacob leaves. Well, a few minutes later, right after Jacob leaves, Esau comes in and asks for the blessing. He brings his dad dinner, asks for the blessing, and Isaac's like, I've already given the blessing. I've already put Jacob in charge. Now you can imagine Esau was upset. I mean, he was like brokenhearted and angry. In fact, he was like so angry, he was like, I'm gonna hurt Jacob. If I see Jacob, I'm gonna really hurt him. Well, everybody knows that Esau's after Jacob now, so they tell Jacob, you need to leave. Like, you, you can't stay here anymore. Like, Esau is after you. And so Jacob leaves, leaves home, runs away. What a mess. You, you have Jacob lying, right? Lying to his dad. These relationships with his brother hurt. I mean, it's created all this problems between mom and dad and brothers. And you have Jacob now on the run, right? He's leaving home. Everything is bad. And in Genesis chapter 28, it helps us understand what John is talking about, what Jesus referenced. Look at this in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. 
when he reached a certain place, and I just want you to remember this idea, kind of like, look at that, a certain place. We're going to come back to that. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and angels of God were ascending and descending on up and down on this. So it says that Jacob was traveling, right? He's, he's going from Beersheba to Haran and he ends up in this place. It, the Bible calls it a certain place. But really what the Bible is saying is like, it doesn't have a name. It's a certain place, but it's an in-between place. It's not Beersheba, it's not Haran. There's nothing that identifies this place as significant. It doesn't have a name, right? So it's, it's just a place that you would stop at as you're traveling by. It's nothing special. And in this moment, Jacob finds a stone for a pillow. Now, my family is, a, a, we're, we're pillow people. I don't know if your family are pillow people too, but wherever we travel, we take our own pillows. Pillows leave beds, end up in the car, because we've realized at this point in our life, hotel, couch, floor, wherever you are, you can get a decent night's sleep if you have your own pillow, right? So you need your own pillow. So we take that, but here's what the Bible says about Jacob. Jacob was in this place, this kind of nowhere place, and he finds a stone, a rock for a pillow. And what the Bible is saying in that moment is this is a hard and difficult place. This is not a good place. It's, it's the image of Jacob's life, that this is how bad his life is, that he is using a stone for a pillow. His life is in pieces. And as Jacob falls asleep, he has this dream. And he dreams of a stairway. And it's really more than a stairway. What the, what, this, what the image here is more of a highway, a causeway. If you've ever gone from here to the beach, you've likely passed over one of those long causeways over, the, over some bay, over some water to get to Florida. This is, this is the image that Jacob sees. It's this highway, this causeway, this bridge. And on this bridge, a multitude of angels are moving back and forth. And angels were messengers and soldiers and like this powerful movement, like, what Jacob begins to see is something so powerful. And his dream means this. It means that God is active, that God is moving, and that God is coming into Jacob's life in a profound way, in a significant way. It so surprised Jacob that when he woke up in this place, right, this nowhere place, he says this in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So remember, so Jacob is in the middle, right? He's traveling, he's on the run. He's in this nowhere place, this certain place without a name. And all of a sudden that place becomes an awesome place. That place becomes the house of God. That place becomes the gate of heaven. Man, you could ask like, Jacob's a liar? Right? He's betrayed his family, he's on the run, he's messed up. How could God come into his life? Why would God come into his life? You don't really know the answer to that question until you get to what John begins to record in John chapter one. We don't really know what's happening with Jacob in this highway, in this place, until we realize this centuries and generations later and this is this incredible moment 
This is what we understand in John chapter one. As Philip and Nathaniel are talking about Jesus. And Philip tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel do? Nathaniel goes like, what? Nazareth? How, how, can, anything, how can anything good come from Nazareth? And in verse 48, you see Jesus saying to him, I know you, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What just happened? A fig tree. Right? There's, there's something about the fig tree. We don't even know. There's, the scriptures don't even give us real insight into what's going on here. But something about this fig tree that God saw Nathaniel there made Nathaniel completely reverse his ideas on who Jesus was and believe and, and understand him to be the Messiah. This fig tree, right? It was, it was something. It was, the fig tree represents something, a place that Nathaniel thought was so out of sight was so private, was so obscure that there's, there's no way he could have been seen at that time of night, its location. Like there's something about this fig tree that seems to be so distant and so removed in Nathaniel's mind that who could see, have seen him there? And when Jesus says, I saw you there, I saw you at the fig tree, it changed everything for Nathaniel. All his doubts were removed. The fig tree, Nazareth, they're the same places. They're the same places. They're the places that you don't think much about. When I was in high school, my buddy uh, had a, a lake house uh, out in Gunnersville, a little cabin, and we could be from the parking lot of Grissom High School to his cabin in 27 minutes. And we knew this because as school would let out, I, we both knew, hey, school's gonna let out 3.30. No one's really gonna look for us or need us till about five or 5.30. Parents aren't gonna really wonder about us at that point. And so we knew 27 minutes we could be from the parking lot to his place loading the boat and fishing uh, in the afternoons. To get to his cabin, you had to pass through Union Grove, population of 70 people. And maybe you know where Union Grove is. Maybe you're from Union Grove, but I have to, Union Grove is not a destination point. Union Grove is something you pass through and, and you're actually through it before you know that it's happened. That, that's Union Grove. It, it's, it's not a place where you go. You, you wouldn't expect great and amazing things to be happening in, in Union Grove. Why, why this fig tree? Why Nazareth? It's the same questions. Why is Sarah barren before God moves in a significant way to give her a child, she and Abraham a child? Why is David tending sheep when Samuel, the great prophet, comes to anoint a king in David's home? David's not even included, he's not even thought of. Why is Jesus born in a poor, with a poor couple? Why is he born and laid in a manger? Why is he a handyman? Like, why are all these things so, so low and so forgotten? Here's the point, God has always made his way into the most humbling of circumstances to show us that in our humility, we can encounter God. God has always made his way into the most humbling of circumstances to show us that in our humility, we can encounter God. How humbling is it for Jesus, for God the Son to become a, a baby, to be, for God to be nursed? 
for God to have his, his diaper changed? What a humbling set of circumstances. The cross, how humiliating that the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who holds the universe together is laid upon a wooden cross and, and dies the death of a criminal. This humility, and yet, every time through these things, like what looks like defeat is triumph. What looks like moments where Jesus is losing is actually him winning by he's being lifted up by coming low. And it's the same thing with our lives that when we come to the end of ourselves, right? When we begin to live for someone else rather than ourselves, when we begin to look at take a hard look at our lives through the, the hurts and the issues and the sins and the regrets, when all of a sudden we realize that we need help, when we, when we find ourselves coming to these very humble places where we're open and honest about our lives, all of a sudden heaven opens up. There's something that we have access to. James chapter four, verse six says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jacob's rocky pillow, the fig tree, Nazareth, they're all the same places. They're the places that you wouldn't expect God to be active. The places where you wouldn't be, expect God to be moving. Theologians have always said that God is always behaving more lowly than we think he should. Because the lower God comes, the more out of the way he goes, the more places we can be surprised, found, and saved. If God only comes to the palaces, right? if God only comes to the throne rooms, then only a few get saved. But when God comes to the places that are anywhere, when God comes to the places that are nowhere, and that means that God can come to us. And it doesn't have to be a special day. And it doesn't have to be a special holiday. And it doesn't have to be a special situation. And it doesn't have to be a special circumstance. It could be anywhere. It could be nowhere where God shows up and the heavens open up. Tim Keller said this, contrary to what Nathaniel thinks, God's glory tends to come down in mangers, not luxury hotels. Rocky places, not palaces and crosses, not thrones. Jesus said this, John chapter one, verse 50. You believe, Nathaniel, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Listen, Jesus doesn't just show us that God works and is active in unexpected places, but he takes Jacob's experience, right? He takes Jacob's life in a mess on the run with a rock for a pillow. He takes Nazareth, he takes the fig tree, and he brings all of those things together and says the place where God is active, the place where the angels are ascending and descending, the place where heaven opens up, Jesus says, that's me. It's not a place anymore, it's a person. It's a person, Jesus says, it's me. Jesus is the place where the angels come and go. Jesus is that surprise, certain place where all of a sudden we realize heaven is open to us. And our knowing Jesus, our belief in him, our belief in what God has done through his son as savior and king is no longer just a place, it's a person. It's a person where our life, and when your life believes in Christ and Christ is in you, heaven is open to you. Heaven is yours. 
Jesus is going to fulfill all the requirements for you and I to know God, to have a relationship with him, to be in his presence. And when you're in Christ, you are in a way of heaven being open to you. Even the Jacobs, even the liars, right? Even those that, that feel stuck. Even when you look at your life and you think, I'm just in a, I'm in a nowhere place. I feel like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in between. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm more conscious of all the things that are going wrong than the things that are going right. When you're in a place just like that, when you have a rock for a pillow, in Christ, heaven can be open for you. Heaven can open up for you as well. That the connection between heaven and earth, that certain place is Jesus. And Christmas tells us this. Christmas tells us that God is at work, that you have not been forgotten. That in the most difficult moments, the most challenging of circumstances, when everything feels like a mess, that the thing that you most long for to know God, the thing that your soul most hopes for, for heaven to be opened up, is coming true. And it's not just for you, but it's for all those who would believe. It's for all of us. So when we celebrate Christmas, when you open up presents tomorrow, in all of those places where you might find yourself, each of those places is a place because of Jesus where heaven is open to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message. I pray it would just be a beautiful encouragement to us. And we might remember Isaiah 62, 66 too, that these words are true, that these are the ones I look on with favor, God's word says. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. God, this morning, let us, as we approach a day, um, a holiday, a special occasion, to know that we don't have to wait for tomorrow for heaven to be open to us, but through faith in Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, that we can know you, God, that our lives can be changed, that our hearts can be renewed and our future set in a way more secure and more eternal than we could have ever imagined because of Jesus. Thank you that he is that certain place. Lord, I pray for our hearts this morning as we finish in a time of worship. I pray for each of these families and kids here. Lord, would you just continue to do a deep and good work in our lives through this special time of celebrating the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Savior. That's in his name we pray. Amen.